Listener supported. WNYC Studios. When did you hear a man like, I hate my voice? Like, never. Men never get critiqued on their voices unless they sound effeminate, which is just misogyny. We all know that. Um, But women always complain about their voices. They hate the sound of their own voices. I can't tell you how many times people say, I'd love to do radio, but I hate my voice. That's Lauren Ober, the former host of NPR's The Big Listen. In this episode, find out why women's voices are so often criticized, why those critiques are so easily internalized, and why it's time for women to tell stories using their own voices. I'm Tanzina Vega, and this is Work It! The Podcast, a compilation of some of the best moments from the live event. What's up, Work It? That was so lame. I know we had a hard lunch, everyone, but we could maybe give a little more enthusiasm. And all you people who are leaving right now, I don't know where you're going. I don't know where you're going. Um, my name is Lauren Ober. I am not Jenna Weiss-Berman. I know some of you have gotten confused. It's okay. All lesbians look alike, I guess, here at this Women's Podcast Festival. Um, just kidding. I don't want to shame you. Um, but I just did. Sorry. Okay. So my name is Lauren Ober. I am formerly the host of a show on NPR and WMU called The Big Listen. Uh, I am soon to be the host of a forthcoming top secret podcast from APM. Um, so what do I know about using your voice? Basically nothing, but I am a professional talker. I'm a professional listener, and sometimes people pay me to help them talk better. Um, And so I wanted to talk to you a little bit about voice today, because over the years I feel like I've been involved in in radio, I've noticed that men never complain about their voices. Even before I was involved in radio, like, when did you hear a man like, I hate my voice? Like, never. Men never get critiqued on their voices unless they sound effeminate, which is just misogyny. We all know that. Um, But women always complain about their voices. They hate the sound of their own voices. I can't tell you how many times people say, I'd love to do radio, but I hate my voice. And I wonder if we hate our voices, um, that if because we hate our voices, other people hate them too, or do people hate women's voices because, okay, so I'm like, can't read my note cards right now, so I'm gonna start that over. Basically, I'm trying to say that it's a chicken and an egg situation, all right? Uh, So like, do we hate women's voices because women hate their own voices or vice versa? You get the drift. So, uh, so why do people hate women's voices? Here are some ideas I have on the topic. Uh, my ideas are probably wrong, but that's because I'm a lady, um, even though it doesn't look like it under my menswear-inspired outfit. Um, but so why do people hate women's voices? Uh, because they remind us of our nagging mothers. Because they hurt our ears with their incessant screeching. Because patriarchy, because they don't convey any authority because they sound like children, because men's voices are better and everyone knows it, because Hillary Clinton. Um, Asking why people hate women's voices honestly is like asking how long is a piece of string. There is no satisfying answer, but we do know that hating women's voices is not a new thing. And some people way smarter than me have thought about this. There's a woman named Mary Beard. She's a professor of classics at Cambridge and the author of many books, including Women in Power, a Manifesto. 
Um, she has thought a lot about women's voice in ancient times, which, which, mean, which I mean to say she has thought a lot about women's silence. This is a clip from her 2014 winter lecture at the London Review of Books titled The Public Voice of Women. Public speaking and oratory wasn't something that ancient women just simply didn't do. It was an exclusive practice, an exclusive skill that positively defined masculinity as a gender. As we saw with Telemachus, to become a man, and of course we're talking an elite man, to become a man was to claim the right to speak. Public speech was a, if not the, defining attribute of maleness. So a woman speaking in public was in most circumstances, by definition, not a woman. Okay, so not only could men, so men could only speak, but if you spoke out, you were a man, right? Period, end of story. Like, women just did not have a voice. Not only that, but... As one ancient scientific treatise explicitly put it, a low-pitched voice indicated manly courage. A high-pitched voice indicated female cowardice. Or, as other classical writers insisted, the tone and the timbre of woman's speech always threatened to subvert not just the voice of the male orator, but the social and political stability and the health of the state as a whole. Okay, so think about that. Basically, women's voices had the ability to bring down a republic. Your voice is so powerful that you could topple an entire system of power just by vibrating your tiny lady vocal cords. So just think about that. Just think about that for one second. You were so threatening, your voice was so threatening that you weren't able to speak. So just keep that in your very tiny lady brains for a second. Okay, so if you've ever had the temerity to speak while female, you know that there are some intense reactions that this can provoke. Just for kicks, I googled uh, speaking while female, and in like a nanosecond I got 11,300 results. There are a lot of people who have written about this and like helped women uh, figure out how they could be heard despite their shrill bird-like squawks. Um, so that's cool, thank you, internet. Um, no, but I mean, if we, if any of you host your own shows, if you work with female hosts, you know that uh, speaking in public is particularly risky for women who use their voices in public ways like podcasting, right? And I think we could look on the Apple podcast charts, if we looked at the top 50, we would see that not a lot of women on there. And maybe it's a coincidence, I don't know. Um, but, uh, but there are a lot of things that people feel that, that they have the right to say to us uh, when we are on air, right? When we deign to use our own voices. So I put out a call to some, some Facebook groups to hear what women uh, have had said about their voices. And here are just a few. Uh, women's, women in audio sound like a stuffed up 13 year old reading off cue cards. A high schooler who has issues trying to please people. These are real women, by the way, who have had these, these notes sent to them. Chubby, tall and blonde, a sharp pencil in my ear, a man, a mentally challenged southerner, wait for it, 
a Smurf that had sex with a Teletubby while tripping on acid and then queefed out a unicorn's vagina into a pool of glitter and rainbows topped in cupcake sprinkles. Also, people said women sound like, in a derogatory way, NPR. <laughs> um, so apparently that's a slight. Um, no, but I mean, this is like nuts. Like, these are the emails that we get. We all know, we've all gotten them. Um, even I have gotten some negative feedback for my dulcet tones. It's almost unconscionable, but there you go. Um, here are some of the emails that I've gotten from people like Norman, uh, Janine, and my favorite, C. Conover from the Netherlands, who says that, um, that people on my show were talking in high, squeaky, giggly, staccato, and folksy voices, so the presenters don't sound confident. I'd suggest public speaking workshops. Joke's on you, pal, because look where I am right now. <laughs> um, Oh, so like, who would send these? I'm always wondering, like, who are these assholes who are sending women these notes? And apparently one of those assholes is me. Because 12 years ago, no, excuse me, in 2012, I, Lauren Ober, sent a note to the folks on Slate's Double X Gab Fest, now called The Waves. I just wanted to point out that many of your regular contributors suffer from vocal fry like they had Ebola or something like that. This is like one of the biggest shames of my life that I'm sharing with you guys right now. Um, it's a safe space. Also, I just wanted to show you that I know how to use Microsoft Paint from 1992, okay? So you're welcome. Um, okay, so there are two main, main real critiques of women's voices, vocal fry and upspeak. I figured before we could even talk about those, we would, we would listen to a little definition courtesy of our friends at NPR. This is a little video produced by uh, Selena Simmons Duffin. So what is vocal fry exactly? That's what happens when anyone drops their voice to its lowest register. It tends to fry or crackle or pop. Vocal fry. Our own studies have shown that both men and women tend to define the vocal fry voice as untrustworthy. And what is the deal with uptalk? Basically, this is ending a statement as if it were a question. You're going to go down the street and you're going to make a left, right? So the uptalk is a way of saying, I'm continuing, follow along with me. How do people in studies perceive uptalkers? They say things like, well, this person has no confidence. They're timid. They're deferential. So people don't like our voices or how we use them? We seem to have this biologically driven judgment that lower-pitched voices connotate stronger, more trustworthy, more competent people. Maybe we can keep that in our minds when we're listening to someone speak in a high, squeaky, up-talky voice, and our brain goes, this is an idiot. <laughs> this is a person who is not very smart. This is a person who doesn't believe what she's saying and has no confidence. In fact, those qualities have nothing to do with this person that we're listening to. If you still don't understand the scourge of vocal fry, a very helpful gentleman by the name of Eric Woodard put together this supercut of particularly sizzling moments from the first season of Invisibilia. To the West Coast, which is in it for younger listeners. The day I met S, he answered the door in these very colorful shorts, friendly, it's from the ocean. Friday night, his wife married to watch movie, violent thoughts like this before disturbing torso ball ball by the way that man has a wife and children i found him online you can too 
you want. Um, all right, but real talk, like why do we talk like this? Why, why have we noticed this and why do we speak in this particular way? Um, I have some thoughts on it. Uh, it's potentially controversial, monstrously unscientific. Uh, please don't at me, please, please. This is just a hypothesis. Um, so here's my thought on vocal fry. Vocal fry is a way to hedge, to shrink, to modulate, to keep yourself small, to not step into your full power, to speak in a register from which you cannot shout. And you cannot destroy the state with vocal fry. I promise you, you can't. It's just not gonna happen. Um, and I realize that there are many reasons why we modulate our voices for different reasons, whatever. Uh, but this is one thing that I've been thinking about a lot. Um, but maybe we don't do it for that reason. Maybe we just do it because of this dude. <laughs> that man is Ira Glass. Uh, he has this particular affectation or affliction. Um, and he didn't know what it was until 2015 when he had a conversation with his colleague, Hannah Joppy Walt, uh, on an episode of This American Life. Have you noticed that I do it too? Not until right now. Yeah. Yeah, even as I say these words. And I didn't, I didn't notice it when other women do it either until I started to read about the phenomenon of vocal fry. And then I, I did notice it. And, and I find it annoying now when other people do it. I mean, I don't notice it all the time, but if I am thinking about it and hear other people do it, other women do it especially, I become like a woman who hates women. Wow, you're like, it's like you've absorbed the messages of your oppressor. <laughs> you hear it now, I hear it in you now. Yeah. I get criticized for a lot of things in the emails to the show. No one has ever pointed this out. That's completely unsurprising. Or do you think it's just sexism? Yes. I think it taps into some deep part of people's selves where they don't want to hear young women, including me. Like, it taps into that in me. Um, so, Hannah Joffe Walt, we all found out, is a woman who hates women. Um... <laughs> But no, I really think that vocal fry is a way that we, we hold ourselves back and we don't fully assert ourselves. Uh, as Mary Beard said, we can end nations with our voices, but we can't do that if we are not fully heard. And if we silence ourselves and we do the work for other people, then what's the point? Um, I never hated my voice. Uh, until I got into radio, I really never thought of it. It was just part of me, it was just who I was. Um, when I got into hosting, I did some voice training to learn how to control my breath and, and speak more conversationally and write narration that works from a natural speech patterns. Um, and so I figured I probably couldn't leave you without any kind of, uh, that's embarrassing, by the way. <laughs> I did that knowing it would be totally embarrassing. Chicks equals everyone. Uh, so whatever, I'm old, I don't care. Um, but uh, there's a woman named Marilyn Pittman who I've worked with before, maybe some of you have. If you do, you know she makes people cry, but she also will make you better at using your voice. Here's some tips from her, these are verbatim. She said, print these verbatim, so I am. Uh, learn how to breathe diaphragmatically so your voice has resonance, power, and volume. That's speaking from your gut. Uh, look it up if you don't know exactly the technique. Um, play with your voice so you have a fuller range of expression. Try reading copy like you're reading to a child. 
uh, warm up by laughing or acting drunk through 10 seconds of copy. This loosens you up so you can find greater expression. Don't continue acting drunk and don't show up drunk. That's a bad idea. Um, mark the copy using Marilyn's talk the copy techniques, which is basically just underlining keywords or phrases, marking breaths, especially breaths in the middle of sentences. That's really important. Try it for yourself. If you're in the business of scripting and writing and, and reading your own script, do try that. I recommend it. Um, and think about the content you're reading uh, as you're reading the copy. So see the story and the person. Be in the story. Be present in it. That's really helpful. Um, so, um, so I didn't want you to just hear from me uh, about voice because I have one particular opinion on it. I think all women should just be shouting from the rooftops all the time. Um, and I love my own voice and I never really had to struggle with it, but I wanted uh, to, you to hear from some other folks. Uh, this is my friend Lewis Wallace. He is a writer and radio producer in Durham, North Carolina. Um, he was a former Marketplace reporter uh, and he was one of the only trans reporters I've ever heard on the radio. And as a trans person on, in public radio, he's had to think a lot about how he sounds. I feel like a big part of my just trans experience has been about embracing my voice, kind of regardless of how other people perceive it. And that can be really unpredictable, but for a really long time, it was like, people might look at me and they might think like, that's a boy, or I think it's a boy, but I'm not sure you know, maybe, and then I would talk and people would be like, oh, never mind, that, you know, that's a female person for sure. And so my voice has been like very, very gendered by other people. Um, for myself to feel empowered within that, I've had to just have like self-love and deep self-respect, I think, around my voice to not take on other people's weird stuff about it. All right, so he wants you to love your voice, like date your voice, like go out and take your voice on nice dates. Um, all right, so the next person I want you guys to hear from is Jasmine King of the South Walker, co-host of the Black Joy Mixtape out of Washington, D.C., which she co-hosts with Amber J. Phillips, the High Priestess of Black Joy. If you don't know the show, what is wrong with you? Um, hers is a voice that is so rarely heard in mainstream media, but oh, do we need to hear it? Um, here's Jasmine. My voice, uh, I think, it is an amalgamation of being in different places in the South. I've lived in Mississippi. I lived in North Carolina. I've worked in Central Appalachia, not Appalachia, Appalachia. What's up? And I feel like it uh, just embodies the multiple terrains that exist in the South. There are mountains. There, there are beaches. There are hills. There are flatlands. There's so many different places to see, and I feel like um, I, it is a voice that embodies that as well as embodies a, a generation of people, generations of black people who have decided to, to survive in the South. And so I am not ashamed of that. I'm very proud of it. It's all sweet. It is heavy. It is uh, juicy. It's dope. <laughs> if you walk away with nothing else, just try to think of yourself as having a dope voice, like my friend Jasmine. Um, but she's so good, like I, I, we talked for a while, we got kicked out of a DC public library, which is why the audio is so crappy here. Um, but she said so many amazing things and I have to share one more thing that she said. The more we accept voices as they are, the more we are able to not only coexist, but allow people to thrive exactly as they are. So my voice is, in opposition or as a resistance to the status quo that is uh, 
stifling and, and harming the majority of us. Most of our voices do not fit into this this norm and us constantly trying to figure out, well, how, how can I sound different? How can I look different? How can I present myself differently? It's all drag, baby. It's all drag, baby. Doesn't matter, it's all drag. All right, so my last friend I want you to hear from, her name's Alice Wong. She's a disability rights activist and host of a podcast called Disability Visibility. She's also the editor of a new anthology called Resistance and Hope, Essays by Disabled People, which you should buy wherever you buy books. Um, Alice has a neuromuscular disorder and she has to wear a BiPAP machine to help her breathe. Um, so you're gonna have to tune your ears really closely, real carefully to understand what she's saying and that's okay, that's not gonna kill you. All right, so here she is. You know, I really think you're gonna ask Darth Vader a light. You know, because actually I do identify with Darth Vader, I think. I think he's a much misunderstood person. And I, and I am kind of evil. And I'm filled with the Force. So, I think of this as my form of resistance. It's, it's definitely me exercising my power that I have, the capacity that I have to, to get my voice out there and to really, more importantly, to get the voices of other disabled people out there. I just want you to note that all those people talked about their voices resistance. Uh, and I think in this time it's really important because a lot of us are being silenced or people are trying to silence us. And I think that understanding that you have something really important to say uh, is, is valuable. Um, I want to leave you with one uh, last quote from Alice. Or it's actually a manifesto she wrote for Transom.org. Shout out Transom. It's called Symphonic Disabled Voices. Here she is reading it. On radio, I want to hear people who lisp, stutter, nurgle, stammer, wheeze, to repeat themselves, to pause when they need to breathe, to make noises when they talk, to salivate and drool, to communicate, to enunciate and pronounce differently, to use different speech patterns and rhythms, to use ventilators or other assistive technology, to use sign language interpreters or other people that facilitate speech, to use just computer generated speech. I want to disrupt what was thought of as a default public radio voice. I want to challenge listeners as they ride the subway, jog on their treadmills, to drive on their commute. Even the sounds and words that we create might require greater concentration and attention. I believe our stories are worth the effort. And your stories, I think, are worth the effort as well. I want to finally leave you with some homework. So our friend Jasmine told me that her voice sounded like molasses, red velvet, and peaches with honey. I want you to think of three descriptors in that vein, or at least just one descriptor of your voice. Mine is maybe like dried leaves or like a foghorn with like a cantaloupe stuck in it or something like that. Um, but I want you to think of three descriptors of your voice. Uh, you know, 
rolling fog, warm smile. Does your voice sound like Grandma Esther's rugula? I don't know. But I want you to let me know. I want you to tweet me uh, at Oberonout what you think of your voice. I want to hear the creative ways that you can use to describe your own voice. You can use the hashtag Women Podcasters Work at Festival. Um, but really, uh, I want you to, to take that to heart and think of those words and remember that you have something to say and you can say it in a really beautiful way. Um, thank you so much to Work It. Thank you, WNYC. Thank you to the Corporation for Public Broadcasting and the New York City Mayor's Office for Media and Entertainment. That's how you can get in touch with me. Also, if you want to sound better, hit me up. You know, I'm, I'm available for hire. Thanks, guys. That was Lauren Ober speaking at the 2018 Work It Festival. Both the festival and the podcast are produced by WNYC Studios and are made possible by a grant from the Corporation for Public Broadcasting. Event sponsors include Spotify, Captera, Stitcher, Art19, Pandora, Himalaya, and Yale School of Management. <laughs>